Welcome, everybody. Paul W. Smith is on a river cruise, WJR listener river cruise, with 75 of his best friends. So we're here substituting for him. I'm Daniel B. Gilbert, and with us is Mark J. Hollis. So we're we're your co-hosts for today. Paul W. is taking in the sun and, and hanging out with his friends. So what's going on, Mark? How are you doing today? I'm guessing his river cruise is probably somewhere a tad warmer than Detroit is this morning. And it's definitely warmer than the studio is because <laughs> they turned it down to 25 in here, I think. Well, there's a lot of exciting things going on, Dan, and much of that, as you look back 14 years ago, you made the choice to bring Quicken, now Rocket, to downtown and really reinfuse some of the energy that comes through sports. If you recall back to the days of Ryder Cup, Major League Baseball, All-Star Games, the Super Bowl, the Final Four, those were becoming commonplace. Then it went a little dark. You made the choice to bring your team members down here, your headquarters down here. And once again, a short, you know, 10 to 14 years later, we're starting to see the delivery of people outside of Detroit making the choice to come here with their biggest events and have a great time for our residents, a great time for visitors. There's a number of them coming up. I think we've got five events over the next 135 days that are really national or global in nature relative to television distribution. The first of those is in 45 days when the NCAA, they're bringing the Final Four here in 27, but this year the Midwest Regional will take place at Little Caesars Arena on March 29th and 31st, 45 days from today. Mark, how many games are in that regional? There will be uh, two semis and then one championship game that will send a team onto the Final Four in Houston. So people have to get their tickets early because even though there's 20,000 plus there, there's so many people interested in this event. I know they're very close to a sellout, and that's typical. It's the, the NCAA regionals have really become what the Final Four used to be. They're big events in and of themselves. Um, this is kind of a tune-up for the city of Detroit, one for the draft this year but secondarily for that, that NCA Final Four that's coming in 27. 52 days away. We had Gibby on last week. 52 days. Tigers opening day with the Oakland A's takes place um, on April 5th. Opening day in Detroit is uniquely different than most other major league cities. It's a celebration, almost another holiday. I know it's something that a lot of our team members like to take part in, and we're looking forward to that. And game. it's not just in the ballpark because the last – few opening days, I mean, I look out my window. There's thousands of people walking around the streets, going to the new bars, eating, that, eating lunch, hanging out. A lot of music, a lot of fun. So you don't have to only be in the stadium to have fun. And that's what you like to see, right, is people out in the in the, in the the parks, people in the, in the restaurants and the establishments. And it really is. I think a lot of folks, it's one of those where there are more, more people downtown than are going to the game. Uh, but that's coming up in 52 days. The big one, uh, one that's going global on nature, 70 do, 72 days from today, the NFL draft will roll into town. Now that the Super Bowl is over, we're going to see some 2,000 individuals that are working for the NFL, for ESPN, ABC, the, the NFL Network, that will put on this celebration that will take place uh, right in the core of downtown. First time an NFL draft has ever been hosted in this kind of an environment right in the core of the city. And talking to Roger Goodell and his staff, I mean, they're very excited about that. Last few have been in great cities, Kansas City and Las Vegas, Cleveland, but they weren't really in the downtown core like we're going to do it here. I mean, the actual draft itself will be right near Campus Martius, 
and everything around there is being activated and then we're activating Woodward going north all the way to Grand Circus. So again, hundreds of thousands of people being able to walk around, enjoy themselves, get a couple drinks, beer, whatever, in the establishments up and down Woodward and around Campus Marshes. So that's exciting. And it's not just one day, it's three days. And we're expecting, the NFL is expecting like over 400,000 people to come down over three days. So that's a lot of people in downtown. And I assume they're going to spread out just not just from downtown, but they'll spread out maybe to Washington Avenue and, and a bunch of other streets, Broadway. It's going to be an exciting time down here. And, and there's a perimeter where actually the, the NFL draft is happening. And then outside of the perimeter, there's a bunch more happening. Activations everywhere. Parties everywhere. You going to come down, Mark? I might be around. You might see me here every uh I'll be the stressed guy over in the corner, but uh, we're yeah. going to talk to Peter O'Reilly, who leads all the events for the NFL. And you bring up a very good point. This isn't um, a theater show per se. There is a theater component to it, but it's really a celebration of football. And you are going to see people from all 32 markets that the NFL competes in, fans of every sort. It's a it's a come and celebrate type event. So you're right. There'll be a secure perimeter. But the celebration is going to take place in areas that we're collaborative working on. Jared Fleischer, Ivy Greener, so many folks within the company um, have really leaned in, are, are making sure that when visitors and when residents come downtown, they walk away singing the praises of what Detroit is. And that's what we're all working. And the city and the Lions and the NFL have been a big part of that, done a great job. So many individuals, a, right. Been a great collaborative effort and taken a lot of work. But yep. You're good friends with Roger Penske. Um, he has the second version of the Detroit Grand Prix taking place downtown that is right along the Jefferson Corridor, passes by our building at One Woodward. Um, they, he's also heavily in this weekend's NASCAR race, which is Daytona 500, uh, has a couple drivers in that uh, that are considered favorites. Uh, so in the racing world, the Grand Prix, we remember the days you and I back when we were uh, in college, where Formula One used to rumble through the streets, the Grand Prix being downtown versus on Belle Isle has really connected that race to our businesses, to our residents, to our team members in a very positive way. Now, those were nice events in Belle Isle, but again, the urban core has become such a magnet for everything and everybody, which is good to see in a city because if you look at some of the other big major cities in America, that's where it starts. It starts in downtown and then things spread out, which is happening in Detroit. So you've got a gravity, a center of gravity in the city, in the downtown area. All these events are coming, sports events, people, entertainment, businesses, and residents, of course. So it's an exciting town, time in the city, and the next few years are going to be even better. One of the positive things about downtown, Dan, and you had a lot to do with this, is the growth in the number of, of hotels, of bedrooms, of, of facilities where these events can have um, high-end experiences, and uh, that's the reason they're starting to come. The Rocket Mortgage Classic, um, it's going into its uh, sixth year, and that I have identified, I've talked to the Sports Business Journal, that is the event that really started to open up the door again for others to follow. We're 135 days away from the Rocket Mortgage Classic, the John Shippen, uh, which is the Black Invitational that feeds uh, an automatic qualifier into the RMC. There's both uh, a men's and women's division of of the John Shippen. That's in 135 days. I know you love that event. Oh, it's a beautiful event, and 
It's great to see so many people from so many backgrounds show up at a golf event. I mean, it really is an exciting event. If you haven't been there, we, we advise you try to get a ticket to get there because if you haven't seen a golf event, it's it's just great to see it. It's a beautiful golf course in Detroit, and it's the only one in Detroit. So every year, I can't believe it's a six-year already. And it's made such a positive impact. Um, the choice was made to continue through COVID, uh, positively impacting. There were some stories that came out yesterday on the digital divide. But changing that narrative from the 20s to the 70% of folks that have access within the city of Detroit is very positive. Other events are coming up, Dan. The, um, the National Guard is bringing more than 4,000 professionals and defense leaders in in August. So these sports events just continue to build and build on what you did 14 years ago. Come to Detroit. You're going to love it. Well, thank you, Mark. One other thing I want to do is just bring up, touch on the point you brought up earlier about hotels. I mean, when we talk to these these NFLs and or the MLB who's putting an all who puts all star games in, or if it's the NBA when they look at an all star game, or if it's people looking at NFL looking at putting a draft, their number one checkbox is, do you have enough hotel rooms to handle this? They have a lot of checkbox, but that's number one. So. It is great that so many hotels have opened up, and hopefully there'll be more, because you do need hotel rooms as the number one number thing, one thing. Yep. to yep. get these events into town. And we can check that box now. We'll be back on Focus right after this message. Welcome back to Focus. At the age of 10, Alex Rampell began developing shareware programs that were already being posted across the Internet. He's never looked back. A tech visionary who has been a software engineer, innovator, and now investor. The Silicon Valley disruptor lives at the intersection of technology, finance, and emerging trends. He now also has a place at the intersection of muscle and brains right here in Detroit, working alongside Varun Krishna and Dan Gilbert as the newest RKT board member. Dan, welcome in. Alex Rampell. Well, first, Alex, welcome. Welcome to Detroit and welcome to the Rocket Board. Thank you. I'm going to jump right in. So the, you are known as the world's one of the world's top artificial intelligence experts, or also known as AI. But for people who have heard of AI for so many years now but don't really know what it is, can you define what AI is for everybody? Sure. I mean, it, it's somewhat of a catch-all. So for a long time, artificial intelligence was just helping computers beat you in chess or I want to figure out what's the fastest way to get from this place where I live to my office and avoid traffic. And you'd run these, the computer would run algorithms and figure out, okay, this road's closed. It normally has more traffic at 4 p.m. Or if it's chess, it's like, okay, if you move the knight here and the, the your opponent moves your bishop here, what do we do? What do we do? So it was kind of very, uh, for lack of a better word, deterministic ways for a computer to you know, do, do things that computers were good at, which was like try every permutation. Um, and what's new about AI now, like when people talk about AI now, it's things like make an image that looks like the Mona Lisa on Mars playing golf. And there's a tool called Midjourney that, that does that or write my English paper for me, um, which is a big problem that a lot of schools are struggling with right now because this, this tool called um, ChatGPT does a great job of this. So open AI, like AI in general used to be a catch-all for just computers doing smart things like beating you in chess. Um, and by the way, like computers couldn't even do that 35 years ago. That, that was a relatively new thing. Computers had to get both more powerful and the, the way that you train them had to get better. But the really exciting thing about what's happening with AI now is that computers 
um, they're basically doing the creative things that the humans can do that they have some limited for lack of a better term reasoning capabilities which is which is really a new thing and I, I don't know about you but when I was growing up I remember reading all these science fiction books about how in the future the robots would do all the work right the robots are going to fold the laundry the robots are going to cook your food the robots are going to drive you it turns out like computers are still terrible at all those things. Like I have to fold my own laundry. It takes a lot of time and computers can't do that at all. And what was supposed to happen in the science fiction books is that you would have more time to write poetry and paint and, um, you know, be, be creative and, and make music. That's actually the stuff that this new generation of AI tools is great at. Like AI can write music and it's pretty good. AI can make pictures. It's pretty good. AI can make poems. It's pretty good. And the way that it does that is it just trains on what lots of humans have done, lots of text or images that are out there. And it basically tries to replicate that process. So that that's kind of what what AI is today. So it trains itself, basically. Is that what happens? Yeah. So the thing that's kind of crazy is that the uh, the, the the famous case where AI started doing a pretty good job um, was on image recognition, starting around 2012. And there was this thing called ImageNet, where basically people uploaded lots of pictures of. In this case, the very first thing was cats. It's like what can we teach a computer to recognize a cat? And back in the old AI world of like, let's make computers play chess really well, you would say, okay, if this, then that, if this, then that. Um, in this new world, starting about you know, 15 years ago, it was, let's just find all, like every single picture that we can find, millions and millions of pictures of cats, tell the computer this is a cat, and the computer basically figures out like things that look like this are cats. And that's kind of the, that, that's, that's how this stuff works. Um, how does it learn how to write poetry? Well, um, everything, every single piece of text that's on the internet, every single library book that's been scanned has been read in by these giant computers. And it just, it's almost like, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of selling it short a little bit, but you know how type ahead works where it's like you're typing something on your iPhone and, and you're saying, I will be a little bit, and it's guessing that the next word that's going to come up is late because that's what you Dan might write a lot on your iPhone. I'm sure you're on time, but you, you know what I'm saying? Actually, um, no, that, and, that's, that's a good sentence for me. <laughs> so it's the same thing here. It's like, okay, what's the most likely thing to, to pop out of, you know, the, the human race's mouth? If you, if you can say, I want a poem about trees in the winter when it's snowing, and it needs to be a little bit funny and make it look like Jerry Seinfeld wrote it. Like you could put that command into chat GPT and just because it's, it's gotten and trained on so much text. I mean, like literally every single sentence uttered in the history of humanity, it gets pretty good at emulating and picking which word is most likely to become, to, to come next in that sentence. Um, and that, that's how these things have been trained. Again, very, very, very different than the, what I would call the deterministic era of, you know, 20, 30 years ago, where, you know, tools were pretty good. It's like, if you wanted to stop fraud, you would use, you know, AI for that. But it was like training on if this, then that, if this, then that, versus this, this new era where it's just like, let's just give it all the data and it kind of figures stuff out. So to me, that sounds like a positive move in technology that'll take the world forward. Why is the federal government continually talking about regulating AI? And how can they even regulate something like AI? This doesn't even seem I, I possible to me. Yeah, I think it's terrible. Actually, we were joking. My, my firm was joking. Like a lot of this stuff is based on linear algebra, which is something that, you know, it's kind of like the post-calculus math class where, um, you know, a lot, a lot of people know what linear algebra is. And all of the, the tools that are, all the underpinnings of, of AI basically run on linear algebra, but slightly oversimplified. But like, if you know linear algebra, 
you can start implementing machine learning algorithms like pretty readily. And we were joking, we're going to buy billboards around, you know, Washington, D.C. saying, you know, ban linear algebra because it's dangerous. I mean, I, I think a lot of the problem, honestly, is that people don't understand what this stuff means or how it works. And you have this knee-jerk reaction that's like, oh, something has happened that I don't understand. We, you know, we, we must regulate it. But I, I have no idea what that means. Um, you know, the, the current regulatory regime is looking at, oh, if it's, if it's a, at a certain level of power, then we have to regulate it. But like, you know, every other country is not going to do that. And then that's just going to hold the United States behind. I mean, our, our adversaries aren't going to do that. So... I think, I mean, I think there will be attempts to regulate this based on um, how many processors you're using. So one of the most one of the top five most valuable companies in the world right now is a company called NVIDIA, which is based in Santa Clara, California. They design the chips that almost all of the AI algorithms run on. So, you know, one proposal, which I think is absolutely idiotic um, and would be a big setback to the country and all the countries that all the companies that operate in this country would be like, oh, if you're buying over a certain number of chips, then you have to register and the government has to allow it. But it's just it's preposterous. So that, that's what they would attempt to do. But it's much, much harder. Like every every tool, every product, every company is going to use AI in some way, shape or form. So it's a lot different than like, okay, let's let's regulate nuclear weapons. Like, okay, that kind of makes sense because there's one use for nuclear weapons, and you know, it's kind of hard to go build those things. And it's not like you know, if, if you're a if you're a mortgage servicer, you don't need to own you know nuclear weapons, as opposed to um, AI. It's, it's a substrate. It's going to go in everything. So I I think there's going to be a lot of noise about this, but nothing's going to happen. Hopefully. Speaking of nuclear weapons, isn't that the fear of all the doomsayers that the AI engine? Or the AIs will become sentient and want to kill all humans. I don't know why they would want to, but why would the doomsayers go down that road and come up with these kinds of scenarios? They've watched Terminator too many times, I think. You know, they, they heard about Skynet. I mean, I, I think it's kind of nuts. It's like, you know, your toaster is electronic. It's plugged into the wall. It does something. You know, is that going to become sentient? No. I think a lot of this is just a lack of understanding around how the technology works, frankly. Alex, our war games back in 1983 with Whopper, who took over uh, NORAD. Uh, all those, all those memories of those movies. That, that I know, my, my favorite movie. I, I love that movie. That's a good one. Uh, also, Dan is never late. We're always just early. So uh, we appreciate you. I know. Uh, we appreciate you coming on today. Uh, we have to take a break, and uh, your insight is always valued. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Yeah, well, th thanks, Alex. Looking forward to working with you and, and working on some of these AIs and having them help our organizations move forward. And help the consumer anyway. and, the, and the people all at the same time. Totally great. We'll Thanks, be back. we'll be back on focus right after this short message. We're back here in the studio, WJR. As you heard, this is the focus show with Paul W. Smith. But Paul W. is on a cruise with seventy-five of his best friends. One of those WJR river cruises. You ever been on one of those, Mark? I have never done the river cruise. No, I have not. I'm Daniel B. Gilbert. With me is Mark J. Hollis. Mark has never been on the river cruise, but he's been on a bunch of other cruises, I know. I, I like to travel. Um, I like to keep yeah. my feet on the ground unless it's on a sailboat. Well, that's what they do at your age. They start to travel, right? <laughs> okay. Well, Meanwhile, yeah. I know you got another special guest here. We do. It is a special guest. And the word balance, Peter O'Reilly lives the definition of that word. Peter's portfolio of responsibilities at the NFL continues to expand with the results elevating at great levels. The Super Bowl international expansion, club business development, and, of course, the NFL draft all excel with Peter's interpersonal approach and solid management skills. Some of those skills learned back in his day as a student manager at Notre Dame with the football program. Total 
balance. Dan, welcome Peter O'Reilly to the show. Well, welcome, Peter. Dan Gilbert here. I, I know that the NFL draft is under your jurisdiction, and as you know, everybody knows it's coming to Detroit here in just how many days is it, Mark? What are we, 40? No, we're 70. 72, I believe, 72. Dan. 72 yeah. days who's, away. Who's counting? Yeah, right yeah, in that range. Who's counting? Mark's counting. I'm looking at tomorrow, Peter. <laughs> Peter, these <laughs> events have, these events have become mini Super Bowls, if not even bigger. So the NFL, how did that occur? How did that happen? How did this event become so massive? First of all, Dan and Mark, thanks for having me. It's awesome to be on with the two of you. Um, the draft was big for a long time, going way back to when um, ESPN executive called Pete Rozelle and said, we want to put this thing on television. He said, why? Um, we come a, we've come a long way from that over the years. And it was a great event at Radio City. And then we decided to, to really bring it to the fans and make it what it is, what it has become today, which is a free, accessible festival of football and family and food. And each year, it takes on the spirit and the heart of the city we go to. Um, and it's, there's just, without overstating, and there's just a joy, a hope that's at the heart of the draft. Everybody wins. Everyone gets better in the draft. And that's the manifestation of it in a great NFL city. And I can't wait to do that in Detroit after all of our planning. Um, those 72 days can't come fast enough that we got we got some work to do, but I'm excited. Well, thanks, Peter. Now, Mark mentioned it earlier, 72 days away. The other drafts, most of them have been a little bit more outlying, and the thing I think the NFL likes about this draft, and certainly we like it, it's going to be in the urban core of the city and activate the whole city. So this is a different kind of approach. How do you feel about that? I love it. I love it. I mean, I think what we do is we take our cues from the city. Um, we come to partners like yourself. Um, what is the, this is our backdrop. This is not going into a stadium with a hundred yard field. This is bringing it in and making the city a character in the draft for not only those who will come from around the country and around the world to be part of it, but the 50 million who will be watching this draft. So doing it right in the heart in Campish Martius, along Woodward, down to Hard Plaza and the river, just to see the you know, see Detroit in its finest and its incredible resurgence and, and bring that to life. Um, it's going to be incredible. I can't wait to see um, that sea of Honolulu blue there, as well as all 31 other jerseys and just the joy of those three days in, in the heart of Detroit. And it's coming on top of a season that we haven't seen here in a long time. The Lions making it to the NFC championship game. So all of a sudden Detroit and the Lions become a, a big thing together NFL wise, huh? For sure. Um, I was fortunate. I mean, that's obviously started well before that going, you know, back to that Coach Campbell press conference and hard knocks and everything that Jill and the team have put together. Um, but I was fortunate to be there week one in Kansas City at that kickoff game to see the Lions win that game. And you knew there was something special. And then just to watch this season and then to see that NFC championship game and Ford Field full for a watch party and the way that this team has really captured the nation, um, there's something special there. Um, and the future is so bright. And just to feel that energy, to line that up and all of that momentum coming out of this season within a draft 72 days away where you can have, you can bring that energy together again for three days, not just for Detroit, but for all of those people who have 
seen and, and fallen in love with, with what this team is all about and, and the tide of the city. It's pretty awesome. Well, thank you. And thank you for all your support. And we're looking forward to it. And I think there's hundreds of thousands of people in this area looking forward to it. It, it really sure. is. It really is a football town. I mean, it has been for a long time, if not a football state. So, you know, 30 minutes short of the Super Bowl, hopefully next year, as we always say around here, but I think this time we mean it. So we'll see. Oh, for sure. It's a, I spent a bunch of time there, as Mark knows, that my wife's family's in Troy. I'm in Detroit a fair amount. Um, we love it there. And then to your point, this draft, every draft is that intersection of the best of college football and the NFL coming together and to come off a Michigan title where you're going to have big time Michigan players being drafted. That's a pretty powerful thing as well. So excited for that to come together. It's going to be awesome. Well, great. Let's talk about the Super Bowl for a minute because that's another goal of Detroit to get another Super Bowl. We've had two in this area. Last one, 2007 ish. I mean, what does it, what does the city need to do to show the NFL they're primed for a Super Bowl and, and get granted one. Do they have to show them how yeah. good of a job they do in the draft? I'd say that's the first step, Dan. I think that's right. You know, it's kind of let's let's focus on what's in right right in front of us, as we all do. To your point of let's focus on tomorrow and and do something really special and and remind the world, remind everyone, kind of how how special this city is. So I think we've got a chance collectively to do that around the draft. Obviously the Super Bowl process, as you would expect, is a really competitive one and um, a lot of focus on on markets that are quote unquote more destination markets. But that um, but it really to your point starts with the end of April and, and putting on an incredible experience for fans and partners, for prospects and their families. Well we're expecting to do so, so we will be knocking on the door of the NFL. I told Roger Goodell this already. I said we'll be knocking on the door for a Super Bowl after this draft. But I respect we'll that for sure. We, we will see. We know it's competitive. Peter, this is Mark. Sure. Um, going back to August of 2018, Kelly Cazell and Rod Wood made the first call over. That's when Dan and all of the leadership at, at Rocket really got started, got generated. How important is it to the NFL that when you have events like the Super Bowl that Dan's talking or the NFL draft, that you have connectivity from public-private, the mayor, uh, companies like Rocket that step forward and not only sponsor, but really team members become engaged and become part of executing at the highest level. Mark, that is critical. Um, it really takes two things, a great vision, which you all um, and the Lions and, and everyone had around this, and then the right partners who are really, really committed. And that's been there from the very beginning. To your point, the two of you and your teams, Mayor Duggan, the Detroit Sports Commission, obviously the Lions, Sheila, Rod, Kelly, everybody there who um, the local support, the local chambers and alliances and business alliances, that's what that's the special sauce that makes a draft work. Um, you can have a great idea, us sitting in New York, but the way we come together to make it work in the city itself and do something special, that's what's going to make this great. And to your point, that vision was there early. It was awarded in March of 22, and then we've been building the plan, and now we're in the final stretch. You ready to go, Dan? You ready for the draft? <laughs> I'm ready for the draft. Hey, one of the questions one my youngest kid asked me the other day, because this ha happens to Adam Silver too, why, why does everybody boo the commissioners, do you think? When they well, come yeah, I mean, I think it, it ultimately 
he's got that role where, um, you know, he's at the top and that's the passion of our fan base at the end of the day, whether it's a, you know, something fans don't like or whatever their team is. Um, it's funny. I've watched the commissioner boo to the draft for years. He embraces it and, uh, and soaks it in. And then, you know, kind of 10 minutes later, he'll be walking in the crowd and everyone will be looking for a picture with him and wanting to connect with him. So it's a ritual that uh, is, is unlike any other. And to his credit, he embraces it. He's not alone, though, because all the commissioners get booed, which oh, is an yeah, interesting sure. phenomenon in general. I think that they have to make such tough decisions that half the people are going to be upset one day and the other half the other day. So no doubt. That's a but, tough uh, job. Tough, he, tough job. He wears, he wears it well. Peter yeah, O'Reilly does. with the NFL. Can't thank you enough. Look forward to working alongside of you, all of us do, Dan and, yep. and everyone over the next yep. 72 years. Thank days. you, Peter, and thank you to the NFL. We're looking forward to the draft for sure. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Mark. We appreciate you. Thank you. We'll be back on Focus right after this message. Welcome back to the Focus Show with Paul w, with Paul W. Smith. Paul is on vacation on a cruise, river cruise, with a bunch of his friends, one of the WJR river cruises. Sounds exciting, but it's more exciting here in the booth. This is Daniel B. Gilbert substituting for Paul W. Also with me is Mark J. Hollis. And Mark, we've got a lot of exciting guests left here today. We've got Mayor Duggan coming on. We've got Dwayne Edwards from the Pencil Lewis College. And we've got Ivy Greener from Bedrock who's going to tell us what's going on with Bedrock and how many more retail tenants and buildings are coming on way soon. So, But with us in the studio today is Josh Lang, who is the leader of 702H Hospitality. 702. Had, which 702, which stands for something else, right? It's it's a, it's a kind of a play on Ohio, where you're from, and the 702 area code, which is Las Vegas, right? Yeah, so 702 is a, kind of like a, the beginning and the meat and potatoes of a lot of my hospitality career. And I came back to the Midwest a couple of years back, and that's when this kind of all started for me. Great. Welcome to the studio. We're very excited to talk to you. And I know, Mark, you you got a bunch of questions. Yeah, it's, you know, kind of to, to describe what we're, we're experiencing here. Last May, we lost a dear friend at the age of 26 following his courageous battle with NF. What we didn't lose was his inspiration and the thoughts of that twinkle in his eye when he had a great thought. And Nick Gilbert had those thoughts, great ones. His passion was good food, good people, good sports, and meshing it all together in fun and engaging atmospheres. And soon Nick's vision will become a reality for us all, a place for us to laugh, cry, toast, and celebrate. Gilly's Clubhouse and Rooftop will soon open its doors at 1550 Woodward for all of us to enjoy and remember the one that inspired us all. Nick Gilbert. Let's bring in that person uh, that's charged with delivering the first of its kind sensory driven food and dining experience right here in Detroit. As Dan Daniel B mentioned, the principal of 702 Hospitality and the operator of Gilly's Clubhouse and Rooftop, uh, Josh Lang. Josh, um, a real quick question. You know, Nick um, brought people around uh, sports and food in such a positive way. What do you remember from your conversations with Nick on his vision and how you're going to bring that to life. You know, first and foremost, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. This is awesome. Um, as you guys know, if you to have a conversation with Nick, it's full of ideas. And from the first time I ever spoke to Nick about this project, he would give me examples. 
you know, you got to come to Detroit and try this. This is something we need in Detroit. We want fun restaurants. I want a place where I can go with my friends. And it was just ideas, passion, and love for the city of Detroit. And it was all centered around things that he felt the city needed. And to sit in a room, and I'm getting goosebumps as I'm talking about it, to sit in a room and talk about that now and see where it's at, it's just, it's an amazing thing. So many people have come, you know, in support of this project and put their arms around this project. It's just a, it's a really beautiful thing to be a part of. Well, Josh, he told me many times before he passed away how much he loved you and how excited he was to have recruited you from Cleveland to help open and run this operation. So it's very, very exciting for me to see this come to real life. That, that means a lot. As we look at as we look at Gilly's opening, the the date, the target date, of course, the draft NFL draft is just around the corner. Um, this has been a fast process uh, to get to where we're at. And as you drive down Woodward, you can see it. Talk about where we're at and what the expectations are for the rollout of of the public being able to come in and really enjoy Nick's vision. You know, for me personally, I tried to set a date a little bit earlier than NFL draft because I wanted to make sure we were doing things the right way, that the service was on point. But our goal right now is to get open before the draft. We're definitely on pace to, to achieve that goal. And where we're at in the construction and rolling out is, you know, the construction's on time. It start, every time you walk in the space, it seems like it's coming together. You see, you know, the bars are p- being placed and, you know, the wood's being set and the, some of the technology components are being added. You know, I'm, I've been showing people the venue and they're just like in awe of where we're at with it. And that piece of it is, is, is rolling. We got our marketing rolling, all the partners that are working on the project, the vendors are putting in extra hours to make sure we get this done. Like I said, the component of the, the compassion for this project is driving everyone to work as hard as they possibly can, which I love. Well, I was one of those people who was in awe because I toured it last week and it really has come together beautifully. And that's to your tribute and your team. So when you think of this restaurant, because it's more than really a sports bar, there's a lot of different areas. There's a rooftop. There's another restaurant with a different theme coming into the lower level. Yeah, well, taking it back to my first initial conversations with Nick, it was all centered around creating this ultimate experience. Nick had big dreams for this space, and it wasn't only going to work just by doing a sports bar. So we wanted to make sure that we added other components to drive traffic down to the city of Detroit as well. Like one of the place where you could come have cocktails and drinks on the rooftop. That maybe not, there might not be a sporting event going on, but it just might be a place where you want to catch the sunset or a date night. And then we wanted to create a space that was a little bit more exclusive and swanky because Nick, you know, he really wanted that to be a component of this too. And sometimes you can't necessarily do that in a sports bar. The different elements that you have in each one, I know you made a, a comment at the beginning, but. Nick traveled to a lot of very interesting places. This is not a replica of any of those. It's a collaboration of many. It's really reflective in when you're upstairs, it's a tequila bar. There's a trailer up there, a food truck per se. Right. It has some cool vibes that are really unique, and it takes a unique mind to kind of envision that and then for you to, to execute it. You know, I think we're the perfect pair because a lot of the ideas and the things that he had seen you know, in his travels, I had seen and been a part of in the past as well. So I could identify what, what he was saying. And that was important. Like, I think you needed the right operator to come in that has seen and worked in those different capacities and those different environments in the past. And it kind of just was a, you know, a perfect relationship. Can you just give us a little flavor? Because I know it's exciting. 
of your time in Vegas and then Cleveland? Because you you started in and operated some very exciting venues. Yeah, so I mean, I was I was fortunate enough to work with some masters in operations and hospitality in Las Vegas uh, for the Light Group first and foremost, and then with Click Hospitality. Uh, you know, I opened up two different sports bars, five different cocktail lounges, um, and a few different rooftops. You know, in Las Vegas, for one, Daylight Beach Club was a big nightclub that we opened, but I had the sports bar of the year on the Strip in, in the Mirage, which was the Still. Uh, Crafts, Drafts, and Eats, which still is operating today. We opened up cocktail lounges in the Cosmopolitan, Click. Opened up cocktail lounges in the Aria, Alibi, both still operating today and and just absolutely crushing. And so if you look at what we're doing here in Detroit, I've opened rooftops in the past, I've opened sports bars in the past, and I've opened cocktail lounges in the past. So we wanted to make sure that the things that I do best, we're bringing here too. One last question. So the scene in Detroit, because you've been in different cities, You've been here for a while now getting this thing together. How, how does Detroit look to you, and how does it differ better or worse from these other towns? So Detroit is really cool. There's a passion for food here that I didn't know existed. It's kind of a, like a destination. I, I'll sit down in a restaurant. You'll see people from Canada that are coming over. You'll see people from all over the place. But it's, uh, it's definitely a spot that people want to come to. I can't thank you enough, Jeff. we, we got to get to the top of the hour and the, all the news, and um, we're excited. For it to be opening. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. We'll be back with Focus right after the top of the hour. Welcome, everybody, back to the Focus Paul W. Smith Show. Paul W. is out of town on a cruise. So coming off the bench today is Mark J. Hallis and myself, Daniel B. Gilbert, subbing in for Paul W. and honored to do so. We have the mayor coming up in a little while, but before the mayor, we have a very interesting gentleman, D. Wayne Edwards, founder of Pencil Lewis College in Detroit, and the great story that goes along with it. So, Mark, back to you for some interesting questions. Uh, just a great, great person and friend, an entry-level footwear designer for L.A. Gear at the age of 19. The results of his mind and creative fabrication found their way to the feet and ensemble of entertainers such as Tupac, Notorious B.I.G., Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and Nas. His designs have been worn in six different Olympics. They've graced all Major League Baseball, NFL, and NBA stadiums by athletes such as Derek Jeter, Carmelo Anthony, and Michael Jordan. What does he do next? He shares his mind and spirit with tomorrow's designers by opening Detroit's HBCU and founding the Pencil Lewis College of Business and Design. Dan, let's welcome Dr. D. Wayne Edwards. Well, welcome, D. Wayne, and... First question I have for you, because you were director at Nike's Jordan brand. What was it like to design sneakers for Michael Jordan and his brand at Nike? Hey, well, first of all, thank you guys for inviting me onto the show. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, honestly, frightening, um, because I grew up as a fan of Jordan until he, you know, won a chip against my Lakers in Inglewood. But um, it was it was it was frightening because I was a consumer of Jordans before I was able ever able to design them and being able to sit next to him presenting something to him just nervous as as all get up but um I knew I knew my craft I knew what I wanted to do and and I just had to prove to him that he didn't make a you know mistake by selecting me to be a part of his team and um but once once we started to chat about sneakers and inspiration he was just like me talking to one of my best friends 
um, just because his level of interest in design and creativity was so high that it became an easier conversation, I would say, after the first, like, 10 minutes. I understand. So, Dwayne, you came to Detroit, which we're thrilled about and happy about. Tell us about the journey to Detroit and what your school is all about. Yeah, so first of all, um, you know, I, I would say what, what really led me to Detroit, honestly, I would say was, was Alan Largen and Lexi Purcell, yourself and, and Jennifer Gilbert, where you guys believed in me and, and what I was capable of and what I wanted to do. And the second one was being able to, you know, reopen Detroit's only historically black college and, and create a focus on design. Um, that's important for the city of Detroit because the city of Detroit is the only city in America that is known by the United Nations for the city of design. And so what better place um, to reopen uh, a, a very diverse design school than, than the city of Detroit. Um, and so being able to do that has been amazing. Um, the people of the city has, has embraced me with open arms and, and being able to, you know, do the things that I feel is right based on their input to make the community proud of what we're trying to do and, and provide some kids an opportunity they, they never knew even existed. I would assume there's a huge demand to get in your school. I mean, to, to learn from a man who designed for Michael Jordan and Nike sneakers, and there's a, there's a, this is a huge sneaker town. So yeah. these are young folks that are going to be trained to be shoe, shoe designers. And is there other kind of, products that they would be trained to designers that focus on sneakers only? No, great question. You know, we, we use sneakers as the hook to trick them into learning. <laughs> um, so, you know, they're all interested in sneakers and, and the fandom of sneakers. And what we try to do is use that as a carrot to get their attention so we can show them the rest of what professionalism looks like. What does it look like to be an entrepreneur? Um, what does it look like to, you know, to go on and become a mentor um, so we use sneakers as the carrot to trick them into a lot of the other things that we want to teach them and make sure they leave with. But in addition to the sneaker side of it, you know, yes, we do apparel design, we do accessory design. Uh, we we just started interior design. Um, and then we're now expanding into costume design with Ruth Carter, who's designed costumes for some of the most amazing films, such as Black Panther and a lot of other Marvel films. Um, and then we'll get into toy design and even some automotive um, sculpting side of things. So we're slowly graduating into becoming more of a full design school. But sneakers is probably always going to be our carrot that we use to, like I said, trick kids into learning. So how many students will attend the, the college at one time? Um, this year we'll finish with about close to 200 kids um, this year. And our goal is to grow it to about five to 600 in person within the next three to five years. Um, and then we'll have another 1,500 virtually live in our, in our online programming. Um, our focus is always better, not more. Um, and, and the more that we can have smaller class sizes so the kids can actually learn firsthand and in real time how to actually do this for real, you know, before they actually get a job. Um, we we want to make sure the kids come to us knowing that they have a future when they leave us. And in order for us to do that, we, we have to have a smaller class size so we can focus on better, not more. And how long is the program for? Is it a four-year, two-year, one-year? Yeah, so yeah, so it's interesting. We have a couple different interesting models. We have this master class format, which is a condensed learning um, process. So we, we'll take a traditional 16-week college semester and, and cram it into like four or five weeks because we, we want to train them as 
professionals and working 10 to 12 hours a day, which is which is what happens when you get a real job in design. Um, and then we'll also grow into a two and a half year university, I'm sorry, college, where we're again on an accelerated path. We'll give you more than what you would get from a four, traditional four year degree, but just in half the time. Um, so a lot of the way that we teach is in real time, the way you would work. And, and so you come to you come to study at PLC, you're going to be there all day long, every day, like you have a real job. Okay, that sounds really exciting for these students. And how is it going so far? I mean, how are the students reacted? What kind of talent have you found? Oh, well, you know, first of all, being being in Detroit, you know, there, there's creativity all the way, all around the city. So it's really just, like I said, if, if we can get their attention to trick them into coming to hang out with us for a few weeks and then show them what's possible, like that, that's been the magic in, in the almost two years we've been officially opened. Um, so we've had several kids from the city of Detroit that have gone off to get jobs at Nike and New Balance and PepsiCo and Gatorade and Carhartt locally. And um, so that's really what we're trying to do is, is open these kids' eyes to what's possible because most of these kids never actually went to college and they had no plans of even going to college. And, and so we're able to provide scholarships for them to attend our institution. So money is not a financial barrier for them to fulfill their dreams. And, and so, so far it's been great. Uh, we, we haven't had any kids drop out. We haven't kicked anybody out yet. They've all survived. Um, and, and the way we rate ourselves is based on placement. And in, in close to two years, we've, we've placed close to 150 kids in jobs. Wow. So going back to your carrot, just for one more second, the sneakers. Yeah. If there's a great sneaker produced out of their design and, and people love it, how does it work to get to the manufacturing process? I know that you're, you're trying to get kids placed in the Nikes and Adidas of the world, but yeah. if somebody came along, an entrepreneur, and said, I love this design, I want to manufacture this shoe and sell it, how would that work? So that's phase, that's phase two of what we're doing. So l later, later in the month, we're opening our, our sample room, which is a full-service footwear sample room that – you would only find at a Nike Adidas or a New Balance. Yeah. So we'll have a full service space that you can make prototypes. But we, we first want to make sure they understand that do they have a business or do they have a hobby? Right. <laughs> and because sometimes most people have hobbies and not a business, but we really take them through not just the design part, but helping them understand if this is actually a viable business. And if they have an idea that's worthy of not just doing one, but doing a collection of shoes, so we put them through more than just the design part of the process because we, we want to make sure they, they improve their chances of succeeding instead of just someone showing up with an idea and we make a prototype for them and wish them luck. Hey, Dwayne, I'm the oldest sneakerhead in America now. So please, okay. please let me know when that showroom's open. I can't wait to see it. February 28th. I'll send you a personal Great. invite. I'll be there. Maybe Mark, All right. maybe Mark J. Hollis will join me. Maybe I'll drag along. Dwayne, I can't thank you enough for joining us on Focus today. Detroit uh, is better because you're here in it. Thank you very much. I appreciate you both. We thank you. you. Thanks for coming on. We'll, we'll be back after this short break uh, on Focus with Daniel B. Gilbert. Well, welcome back to the Focus show with Paul W. Smith. Paul W. is out on a much-deserved vacation with... A lot of WJR listeners on a cruise down the river. Substituting for Paul W. is Mark J. Hollis and myself, Daniel B. Gilbert. Having a fun show here today, but Mark, 
How have you been? Are you did you, I heard that stem cell commercial? Any stem cells for you lately? Not yet, not yet. It's uh, it's been a challenging day, but none of that. It's uh, we're all good. We have to do a little promotion here. Uh, be caller nine at one eight hundred eight five nine zero WJR. That's zero nine five seven to win a pair of tickets to Rain, a tribute to the Beatles, on Thursday, April eighteenth, at the Fox Theater. With note for note precision, this mind blowing performance trans. Uh, transports you back to the iconic eras of Sgt. Pepper and the Magical Mystery Tour, along with your favorite hits. From energetic classics to reflective favorites, the band delivers an unforgettable performance that appeals to fans old and new. For a chance to win, text keyword RAIN, that's R-A-I-N-E, to 800-859-0957. Official rules at WJR.com. Tickets are on sale now at 313presents.com. And Ticketmaster. There you go, Dan. A chance to see the Beatles energy right here in Detroit. Well, I saw that great show a while back. It's really spectacular. And, you know, more technology is allowing these things to happen, bringing people back from the dead or back from 30, 40 years ago and being able to see them in concert now. Pretty interesting. An opportunity for people like Elvis would be one that, that many folks would want to want to cue into. Yeah. This show has been... Um, very positive for me in hearing folks talk about the energy that's in Detroit. You made a, a conscious and, and very um, positive choice some 14 years ago. Now you're starting to see um, individual companies uh, join you downtown. You're starting to see sports entities, uh, theatrical entities make a choice to come to Detroit. And arguably, it's good for them, but it's also great for us to have the live, work, and play mentality here. As you think about your vision 14 years ago and you continue to pursue uh, that vision, uh, changing the rudder every once in a while, but we've seen the book Tower open. We've seen um, uh, Hudson Site uh, transform and just into a beautiful downtown venue. The NFL is going to have its draft right at our back step. That was their choice. Um, how do you feel about the vision and what's next for us? What's next for Detroit? Well, it's it's pretty humbling and invigorating to see what's happened in the last 14 years. I'll tell you this. One of the questions I asked at the news conference when we announced we're moving to Detroit was, who's coming with me? And now there's a, it took a while, but now there's a lot of people who've come with. And there were a lot of people here before we came here. That's for sure. We don't want to forget about them mm-hmm. because they built a great city and the bones of a great city. And so... We're very appreciative of that, and uh, we're able to come in and do our part. And since since we made that announcement 14 years ago, there's been numerous other companies that have come on their own. Some we've recruited, some others have recruited, some big technology companies, some entrepreneurial startups, tons of new restaurants. As you're seeing, every week there's like a new restaurant opening in Detroit. And that's what really starts a, a lot of people to come down here, whether they're coming from the suburbs, as we heard, heard earlier from Josh. A lot of people from Canada even come in, and it's a lot of people from the city all over the city are enjoying the restaurants. And now we've got these major sports events coming, and there's a lot of, you know, as you mentioned, new construction. We think the Hudson site will be announced sometime in the first half of 25, and parts may be announced earlier. A lot of great new retails coming in, retailers. We're going to hear from Ivy Greener, who runs that for Bedrock later in the show, and she's got some surprises and some names of some Pretty exciting retailers that are going to come join the ones that are here already. And, uh, you know, it just doesn't end. The city is doing a great job, and we're going to hear from the mayor soon here. 
I mean, there's so many areas that they they've done a great job under the mayor's leadership, and it, it couldn't be more exciting. And it it just great to see what's happening. And I just think it's going to get better and better. It's almost like geometric. You know, momentum breeds momentum, and that's what's happening right now. One thing I really appreciate about you is this city has so much great history and tradition. We had a guest on JR Sunday this week talking about the Bluebird Inn, which was a famous uh, jazz location in the 30s. They're trying to bring that back. But the best of the best in the world came to Detroit to play in this small little bar that was in Detroit. You talk about jazz in the 30s, Motown in the 60s and 70s, electric music, rock and roll. In music alone, sports kind of follows that similar path, Willie Horton stepping out on the street to, to bring calmness during the, the riots. We don't walk away from that history. We embrace it, but we pull it with us to that momentum you're talking about. And that's, I mean, the opening of the Book Tower is a perfect example of that, a historic building that's been brought to life in just a beautiful way. And we continue to look at that history, we embrace it, and, and we continue to drive forward with positive momentum in most everything we, uh, we get involved with. Well, Detroit and Detroiters grind. We like that word. We we grind and we grind until we get to where we need to go. And it's not always smooth. Huge obstacles have been in the way over the decades. But this last decade has seen our best, I think. And I truly think that we're just starting. I think that the more and more people that come, the more and more businesses that come down, the more and more people that live down here, and we're seeing huge residential projects come online, not just ours but many others now, and that just bring when the people are here, that, that changes everything. It's all about people. And yeah, Commissioner Goodell in his comments to you said, this is not the norm over the last 10 years. Most major urban areas are seeing uh, a decline in that, that motivation and that, that energy. Um, it's very much alive in Detroit, and much of that has to do with you, Dan Gilbert. Well, thank you very much. There's a lot of others in our organization, outside of our organization, who have contributed, certainly. And we just... We can't tell you how excited we are, you know, whether it's the book, you know, you go on the book tower. It's not just the book tower and the beautiful rehab that was done there over seven years. It's it's now the restaurants that are in there that are fantastic. It's the residents that are living in the apartments and in the, in the long stay hotel. And and I think the world is, not, if not the country, the world has discovered Detroit, too. It's not just Detroiters and suburban Detroit that are aware of it. As you heard from Josh, Josh earlier he was Vegas and Ohio, and then he came here to run a couple of restaurants and build them and make them happen. We're seeing that all over the place. You know, we have like 1,500 interns that come in the summer, and they come from 200 different colleges and universities across the country, and they live here for three, four months. And we have more than that that apply for these internships, thousands and thousands of people from all over the country. So the word is out. Detroit is not a secret anymore. The word is definitely out. And the Tigers are opening uh, spring training. The Red Wings are, uh, they've had a very successful last 10. Right as of today, they would be in the playoffs if, if the season ended. But the Detroit Lions, the run they had, um, I think I saw you at all the home games and you made it to a few of those road games. You've enjoyed the Lions. Have, has that energy that they had been reflective on anything that you're doing or may want to do? Did you embrace that? as more than a fan, as really a symbol of what Detroit's all about? First of all, I've been a Lionologist my whole life. I actually started going to Lions games back at Tiger Stadium, then all the years at the Silverdome. Mm -hmm. And then 2002, they moved to Ford Field. I've been to most of those games. I'm actually drinking a blue drink here this morning, believe it or not. Blue Gatorade. So 
I'm definitely a Lions fan, and I'm a fan of what Sheila has done in the last few years and, and Dan Campbell and the front office. So I think, again, momentum breeds momentum. They bring energy to the city. The energy brings momentum to them, and it, it feeds on itself. It's a it's a, a circle of excitement. So thank you, Mark. Yep, it's been a great show so far. We have two great guests coming up to kind of wrap it up, but uh, just positive things happening here, and uh, we appreciate it all. We'll be back on Focus uh, with Paul W. Smith, Daniel B. Gilbert filling in today. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to the Focus show with Paul W. Smith. Paul W. is on break right now. I'm I'm Daniel B. Gilbert with my co-host, Mark J. Hollis. We're, we're excited to be here. We've had some great guests and we've got some more coming up. And I can't thank you enough. We're here on the eighth floor of the Fisher Building. So, Mark, going back to that stem cell discussion, I had stem cells in my knee, and I think it worked really well. Okay. So you may want to put them in your skull. Okay. <laughs> that sounds, brain. What do that you think? sounds good. It'd make your brain even smarter than it is now. There you go. The NFL chose to come to Detroit in April with one of the biggest events. Mayor Mike Duggan made that choice to come to Detroit shortly after graduating from U of M Law School. Six careers, all within three miles of where he started, a litigation firm, Wayne County Assistant Corporation Counsel, County Prosecutor, Deputy County Executive, CEO of DMC, and now Detroit 75th Mayor and a darn good one. Uh, Dan, let's welcome Michael E. Duggan to the show. Uh, welcome, Mayor Duggan. This is Dan Gilbert. How are you? Well, as Dan knows, there's lots of career opportunities within three miles of downtown Detroit. <laughs> there is, and there's there was another Michael Duggan too, who he ran against for mayor. We forgot about that. I don't know what his initial yeah. was, but uh, yeah, 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 I think he stuck to barbering. Yeah, that's right. And you're the 75th mayor. I'm gonna I'm gonna nominate you for the top one or two mayors, probably number one in the 75. I didn't realize there were 75 mayors. That's a lot of mayors. I guess we've been around a few hundred years. So, What's really interesting is, out of those 75, I'm the second longest serving mayor. Uh, Coleman Young, before me, was the only mayor to ever serve more than eight years. So the job kind of chews you up, but uh, uh, but it's been a great run. Well, you haven't been too chewed up. You're still doing great things, I see. And we've been involved in a lot of public-private partnerships, and I know you have with others in the city. How important are those to the success of the, of the town? Well, you think about when we were down and, and people said Detroit versus everybody, but I felt like it was just the opposite. I felt like everybody was behind us. And uh, certainly uh, what you have done uh, was helpful on so many levels, both in business and philanthropy. But we have people like the Kresge Foundation, the Kellogg Foundation, the Skillman Foundation, people like J.P. Morgan Chase. We had lots of people. Uh, who pitched in and made a difference, and now we got a lot of momentum, and everybody wants to be part of the bandwagon. I mean, they seem to be coming from everywhere, Mayor. It's not just internally organic growth anymore, which has got to be very exciting for you in the city. Somebody sent me a copy of the uh, San Diego Union a few weeks ago, and the headline was, San Diego second only to Detroit in increase in hope values. Uh, so uh, you say this has changed a little bit. It has. And then there was that article in the Wall Street Journal. When you read the headline a few weeks ago, it said it was about the NFC championship game teams. They said something like a story of two different cities. And you you look at it, and you're afraid to read it going, oh, well, here we go again. 
they're going to blow up San Francisco as being this great town and, and really come down on Detroit. And it was the exact opposite. San Francisco had issues going down, and Detroit was coming up as the new star city in America. So that was great to read. Well, Mark Hollis was the first person to ever talk to me about the significance of the NFL draft. I think it was his idea two years ago. And it was a big bet uh, that the sports commission put together because, you know, we're going to have 300,000 people come visit Detroit, uh, many of whom haven't been here for years, some of whom haven't ever been here. And uh, it's going to be our first chance to reintroduce ourselves to America since the headlines of uh, the bankruptcy 10 years ago. And uh, it has been a remarkable community effort uh, the last two years. And I think we're going to be ready. I think we are in the, the commissioner is definitely behind us, Roger Goodell. We both talked to him for at, at length, and he's as excited about coming to Detroit as any city they've done the draft in because we're doing it from the urban core, and that's never been done before. Well, it is It is interesting. You know, I was there two years ago in Las Vegas, and they had a fenced-off park that was away from the Strip, and if you, uh, you know, were on the Strip, you didn't even know the draft was there. And then last year, Kansas City did the same thing. It would have been the equivalent of holding it on. Belle Isle, you were in downtown Kansas City. You didn't know the draft was in town. But what we are doing here is is going to be remarkable. There's about 75,000 capacity with inside the actual uh, draft fence area. But we're expecting to have, you know, two or 300,000 people visit, which means the vast majority of people who experience the draft are going to be experiencing at the sites outside uh, the fenced event. And the other great thing about it is that they're coming from 31 different cities around the country. So, so many people will be able to be exposed to the city for what it is. And I've always said when you talk on the phone to people about coming to Detroit, it's a totally different thing than when they're here on the ground. They may still have reputation, you know, views of the reputation from decades ago. And they're like, Detroit, what are you talking about? When they get here, they look around, it's, oh, wow, right? A whole different city. So having those people on the ground here and going back to their cities and telling all their friends and relatives about this town will be fantastic. Not to mention the 50 million people who will be watching it on television. You know, I think we benefited enormously from those last two Lions playoff games where they hosted uh, at Ford Field and the beautiful images of the city of Detroit and the comments I got uh, from around the country. And uh, this is going to be a a special time, and I hope we – we get nice weather because I feel like everybody in this town uh, is ready. You know all the beautification efforts we've made downtown uh, in the last couple of years, and the uh, place looks great. It really does. One of the things that I would say, uh, Mayor Duggan, is while we are approaching this NFL draft, we, we must do it at the highest level. We're working as one team, but it's not the finish line. This is an opportunity for us to really elevate – for other events, whether it's sports or we have the National Guard coming in, it's other events that see what's going on that maybe haven't been here before, and we continue to be a leader in not only visitors, but the businesses that move here and, and residents that move here. All of that is so strong, and this can be a key in that initiative. And another Super Bowl, Mark, as we heard from the executive at the NFL earlier on the show, and as Roger Goodell has said from himself, well, let's see what you guys do with the draft, then we can talk Super Bowl. So it's sort of a little bit of a test. And I think we're all up for the for the challenge. And if we, if we really pull off the draft and it becomes what I think we all know it will become, I think we got a real shot at a Super Bowl that will come back. It's been a while, so we could use another one. 
Yeah, and, and I look at it from a different perspective. I think about that train station. Everybody thought it had to be knocked down, and, and I got Matt Maroon to put the windows in, and we hosted a dinner during the Cranes homecoming event, and people got inside, and they said, oh, my God, this is beautiful. It's got potential. And it led to Bill Ford having the vision to say, we could make this a center of our design of the cars of the future. You wonder how many business executives, how many uh, recruiters, how many uh, you know entrepreneurs are going to be in the 300,000 people visiting the city of Detroit? And I agree with Mark. This isn't the finish line. This is like the starting gate. This is 300,000 people who get to see the city through new eyes. And and you know, Dan, you know how hard it is to recruit a, a company to come in and fill your space in this town. But when they see it. Uh, it, the recruitment gets a whole lot easier. Yeah. It's less hard than it used to be, Mayor. And a lot of that's because of you and what the city have done. And how do you view the city five to ten years from now? I get that question a lot, but I know you might be off, out of office by then, but you'll be in another office doing a lot of great things wherever you're at. Well, you know, we start with the fact that it took a long time to take off because you had a bunch of buildings that had to be filled up before there was any market you know, what you did with the book building, the stat building, you go right down the list of all those buildings. And I remember the day you said, we're going to start to go vertical. Uh, and the day you said that, I was kind of shocked because I hadn't thought about that. Now you go around the city and the city's going vertical. And, uh, it's, uh, I think it's going to keep going. Uh, we got great housing demand. Obviously, we don't have a lot of office demand right now. We'll see how that evolves. But I'm really optimistic with the U of M uh, graduate school going in uh, that we're going to be attractive to a lot of the major employers in the country uh, who are looking for for top flight talent. And as I mentioned earlier, just our company alone, and I know there's other companies that have internship programs, but of the 1,500 interns we bring in every year, they come from 200 colleges and universities around the country. So the interest in Detroit is high. It's not just a passing fancy anymore. And that's the, when you get the young people involved, that's when it really takes off, which it's doing right now. So I was at the Detroit Medical Center, and I hired 100 interns every summer. And I'd run into the Quicken interns everywhere. Mine came from Detroit. Yours came from all over the country. And I think it opened our eyes. Yeah. Mayor, is there anything we, you need to focus on, you think we need to focus on most that, we need to, that we're not doing right now as a city? Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, we just got to keep driving the crime down. And we've got, I think, the best police chief in the country. And we're seeing good numbers so far in 2024. Uh, but that's one that's been everybody working together. And we need to get us permanently out of top 10 uh, yeah. uh, crime ratings. And, and we're, we're heading that direction. We sure are. The numbers look great. And how do, you, how do you feel about the resurgence of a lot of the neighborhoods in Detroit? Because that's come a long way as well. Um. You know, when I ran in 2013, I said every neighborhood has a future. But to see the results this year uh, of, you know, 23% increase in property values and the neighborhoods that had in the past lagged the most had the biggest increases. You just drive up and down blocks in the city and you see people fixing up houses. You know, six or eight years ago, it was fixing up a house. The city was doing it. Now the private owners are doing it because the, the houses are worth so much. It's exciting. I mean, they're great investments, and there's still a lot of great investments to be had. It definitely feels that way. And every time I go through a neighborhood and, and see more uh, ladders out in front, I think, all right, we got another neighborhood where people recognize the value. 
Mayor Duggan, we have a lot to do here in Detroit. We're excited about it. 72 days away, the draft. Uh, we always enjoy partnering with you on everything that's going on in the city of Detroit. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Yeah, thank all you, right. Mayor. Thank we'll you talk guys soon. for all you're doing. We'll be back on Focus with Ivy Greener from Bedrock and we'll wrap it up here on Focus. You're listening to Focus with, with Paul W. Smith here from the eighth floor of the Fisher Building, WJR. Paul W. is out today. He's on vacation, much-deserved vacation. Um, I'm Daniel B. Gilbert. My co-host today is Mark J. Hollis. We have one last but not least guest who is, Mark, you're going to introduce, who's highly energetic, smart, and hardworking as anybody I've ever met. That's and, a perfect description, Dan. Uh, with more than 30 years of experience in real estate and investment, our next guest launched several real estate initiatives to position Detroit and Cleveland as desirable city centers. She developed the Monroe Midway Drive-In and the evolution of that into the Monroe Midway, a year-round activation that the city block is packed with active experiences, attracting hundreds of thousands of visitors to Detroit. Now she has her hands in bringing the NFL draft to reality, the chief operating officer of Bedrock. Let's welcome in Ivy Greener. Thanks, Mark, and thanks, Dan. I appreciate the kind words. Well, Ivy, it's great to have you on the show because your energy itself, you're a one-woman wrecking ball. I mean, <laughs> what you have done with the city and all the people and tenants you have brought here, talk a little bit about the retail scene in Detroit and, and the ones that you've recruited recently and maybe who's coming if you can say that. So definitely. Um, I probably will speak a little bit out of turn, much like, Dan, you do sometimes because it's great to be able to talk about all of these tenants coming and happening. Um Everybody should know that at Book Tower, we recently opened Hiroki-san and Sakazuki, and it's doing really well. So if, for those of you who haven't been there, you need to come. We also have Dunkin' Donuts that's out opening its store downtown in Chipotle and um, a restaurant called Adelina out of Chicago. Um, not supposed to mention this too soon, but Chick-fil-A will be here too. Uh, Gillies will be, we're very, very excited about Gillies. Gillies will be the sports bar in Detroit uh, with actually more than just the Gillies portion of the sports bar. There'll also be a roof deck and a, and a special concept below, um, a speakeasy, which will be great. Uh, we also have tenants who are doing really well and expanding. Itori, Moots, and Canal are all expanding. We've got retailers who are coming in because we all need services downtown. So we have the brushery dentist at, uh, in Brush Park. We have Refai, my favorite, a tailor. I've been, I live downtown and I've been dying for a tailor. Uh, and we also have a bridal store. So, so everything is expanding from restaurants to services and to some retail as well. Uh, and so we're very excited about all of this. And there's a lot that will be here in time for the draft. And we have probably 20 more behind that that we're working actively with to finalize leases to be downtown. Well, that's fantastic, Ivy. And talk a little bit about the activations during the draft that you're going to be activating up and down Woodward Avenue. So we are working, this is very unusual, this draft for us, because I think in all the drafts that they've had, we are the single biggest landlord in the middle of the draft footprint. So we're very excited about that because we get to participate in a way with the Lions and the Detroit Sports Commission and um, downtown Detroit partnership, as well as the city. 
uh, and the NFL to help make sure that we can help shape the NFL draft to something that everybody can enjoy, not only downtown, but in our surrounding communities. Um, and so we are actively working with our tenants to help them activate, as well as working within all the common spaces with our NFL and our local organizing committee partners. We are working all along Woodward. We're, there's going to be food trucks. There's going to be our restaurants. There's going to be so much for everybody to enjoy and screens everywhere so that everybody can see the draft as well, as well as music. I, it's just going to be an incredibly exciting event. So if you're there in Detroit and you say, well, I don't want to walk around because I can't see the draft. Now you, you're putting up big screens everywhere. So no matter if you're not in the perimeter, you're out of the perimeter, you can still see what's going on with the draft. You're going to be able to see what's going on everywhere. There's, there's going to be so many walkable places. You know, we do have in perimeter that the NFL will be handling everything in perimeter, um, as well as some exciting events with the NFL draft. Um, but then out of perimeter, our whole city is going to be on fire with things for people to do, eat, seat, you know, all of that. Ivy, this is Mark. Uh, we have so much more to do over the next 72 days, and there's nobody I'd want to work alongside of more than you, Andrea, and your entire team. You've been uh, fabulous and want to thank you for joining us uh, briefly this afternoon on on um, the show here. Ivy, thank you. Thank you for your work and your energy, and let's just keep going. Thanks for to both of you. Really appreciate it, and let's go. Thanks, Ivy. Here we go. Dan, you had some, uh, some closing comments here on the show? Well, I just wanted to thank people for putting this show together. First of all, thank Paul W. for asking us to be on it, who I'm very honored to, to do this show when he's gone. Like I said, we're coming off the benchmark. We're the sixth and seventh man off the bench. You may win Sixth Man of the Year Award if you keep doing what you're doing. There you go. We want to thank uh, Dave Rieger and Daniel Mason, who are uh, – in the booth here, um, Jr. Afternoon with Chris Renwick are coming up. Uh, I think you, I think you did a great job. Well, you too, man. You're the man. It was uh, it, it was a good time. And uh, I also want to thank Aaron Emerson and Betsy Stone, who are from our organization, in the studio helping us. Everybody who's behind the glass at WJR. It takes a village to get us on the air. Maybe an army, almost. <laughs> um. I appreciate the guests that were lined up. I know Aaron Emerson had a lot to do with that as well as Betsy, uh, but it really reflected well um, on the city. Uh, there are so many positive initiatives. My background and focus is always sports, and it's always good to listen to these shows because you learn as you're, as you're listening, and, and you, brought, you brought it today. Um, I think those that listened are a little bit more educated and hopefully will contribute um, along the way with all of us. Much more to do before we sleep. Much more to do before we sleep. That's not really the, I really screwed that. It's, I forgot what that poem was, but it's close to that. Close to that. Did you have yeah. any good dad jokes before we leave or is that? I've got a bunch of dad jokes. You want to hear them all? We got a couple minutes. So let's, let's hear some. You know, I, I was against facial hair, but it's grown on me lately. <laughs> Maybe we don't want too many more. How about one more? <laughs> oh, I was going to go on a diet this week, but I can't. I have too much on my plate. Oh, I like that. Any more? There you go. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, yeah. These are coming right off the top of your head. This oh, is I've great. got them all stored in. My grandmother started walking 10 miles a day when she was 65. She's now 93. We can't find her anywhere. <laughs> Keep them coming. I love the drum. Keeps me motivated. Okay. Uh, we got two more, right? Let's go. Let's go to five. Did I tell you the giraffe joke? No, I can't. It's way over your head. <laughs>
You got an, I think and the that, last one. I don't know if it. I got a last one. I just emptied a lot out. That was that was pretty good. And they're quick. Judd Heathcote, uh, the former men's basketball coach at Michigan State, had that wit. He could he could pull them off greatly. Make sure you stay tuned. Uh, Chris Renwick is just jumping into the studio as we exit uh, JR Afternoon. I'll be back from the Motown Museum on Sunday uh, on JR Sunday. It's great to have you with us here on Focus. Thanks to Paul W. Smith. Um, keep driving, Detroit. Keep driving. Keep grinding, too. Thank you.